Vancouver is a remarkable city. It's something that's known internationally. We're a small city, but we strike above our, our weight class. Why is that? What makes Vancouver so special? Sure, it's geographical location, but it's also how the city's built. How does our environment interact with the humans in that in, in the place that, in which we occupy? How do we promote more culture? How do we promote diversity? How do, how do we promote good living? Uh, that's what Chris Vollen was talking about and how he was talking about how we've actually developed um, as a city, as an identity, what that means um, for us, how urban planning and architecture comes into the conversation. Chris is, dare I say, a godfather. Um, he probably wouldn't put his his words on that. Um, but in my mind, he occupies that space of kind of this like godfather of Vancouver development, someone that's been all over the all over the world, uh, told me what Vancouverism is from a, a development standpoint. We talked about architecture and how that influences human behavior. So human psychology, um, city development, city planning, um, community building, all encompassed in this conversation. If that's something you're into, this is a conversation for you. Without further ado, Here's Chris. The Think Space podcast is a home for the passionately curious. We aim to dig deep and learn as much as possible by connecting the right questions with the right people. So we bring in some of the best minds in the Pacific Northwest, regardless of their industry, to extract the most value from their stories and experiences. Yes, you're going to get something from this episode, which is good. Or you could get something from every episode we release by subscribing on whichever platform you're listening on. You can find the full show notes at thinkspacepodcast.com or have the visual experience of this podcast over on YouTube. If you want to get looped into some exclusive content or private giveaways, join our mailing list. The link's in the description. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for coming by. I really appreciate having someone of your uh, caliber and your breadth and your history um, on the podcast. We don't get people with this much much experience coming by and sitting down and having the opportunity to like really pick their their brain specifically in this industry that we haven't touched so much which is real estate development and and how cities are built and why cities are built and the psychology around cities which is as i think as humans we kind of undermine how much our environment plays into us and uh, i'd love to to shine some light on that so chris thank you for stopping by Thanks for letting me be here. Yes. Uh, we can talk about this for hours. <laughs> Careful. Yeah, we won't. Careful we now. can't. We can't. Careful now. Yeah. But we can't. I, I can't. We'll put it that. <laughs> we have. Mm. Um, True. So maybe you can give a little bit of context on um, you know, what your career has been about and why you've actually gone this direction. Maybe you know, paint a little bit of a, of a story arc for us and, and why this has actually been important for you and, and how you've dedicated your time and, and your life to it, essentially. I'll, I'll, I can try and summarize that quickly. I grew up in a construction development family. Mm. Uh, my grandfather immigrated to the country when he was 17 and started building fox traps and then grain silos in Alberta, and that translated into a construction company. Mm. And then um, my dad was a structural engineer and, and uh, built a bunch of buildings across the prairies, and I, I went into engineering because of that, and then followed him instead, but practiced engineering for 10 years in Victoria, mm. um, mainly in, in seismic earthquake engineering. And then one day woke up, looked in the mirror, and decided I was bored, and decided, uh, midlife crisis at 33 or something and decided yeah. I needed to get into real estate development. So moved to California, started working for IntraWest in resort real estate development. And that was my my entree into the world of urban planning and uh, real estate. So 33, now we fast forward today. How, how old are you? It's exactly 20 years later. Exactly 20 yeah. years later. Yeah, Interesting how that yeah. is. Um, what keeps you in that industry for 20 years? Because as someone that got bored in an industry essentially after 10, yeah. you know, for you to stick around double that time and still be deeply entrenched in it, 
I bet there was something there for you, you know, on a deeper level. It's um, our cities are fascinating. Mm. They're um, uh, Edward Glazer, who's an author uh, on urbanity and, and urban planning, calls it humanity's greatest invention. It's uh, where we live, and our cities are are collectively where we create the most, where we interact the most. And I've found doing what I do both in small towns because I, I actually did it in a town of of um, population of 7,000 people for wow. seven years. Mm. But that was a resort setting, but it was also urbanity and bringing people in largely on the weekends to form a, a, a completely different culture on the weekends from what it was on the weekdays. Mm. But at a place like Vancouver, which is a very young city and growing and changing daily, pretty much hourly as, as new people come in and leave, it's just fascinating. It's uh, as I, the more I learn and I'm I still, I'm reading and learning daily on on how our cities evolve. So to me, it's going from engineering, which is was fascinating and fun on how buildings stand and how they fall down. Engineers break things. That's what we do as, as training. Right. Uh, we learn how to break things, how to knock them down, and then how to design them so they don't fall down. Mm. Urban planning, development, real estate is is putting the pieces of the puzzle together of how our cities thrive and how we thrive within them. So I find that endlessly fascinating. This episode is brought to you by Self Hired. Self Hired, if you don't know, is a content studio that specializes in video production as well as photography and, yes, podcast production. So if you are an individual or you are a head of a company or a marketing manager or a content manager at a company that's thinking about one of the most powerful mediums in 2020 and want to start a podcast, uh, give the fellas over at Self Hired um, a call that you can reach them at selfhired.com um, or info at selfhired.com if you want to blast them an email. Thank you guys so much. And here's to the episode. So two questions off of that. So amazing, but in, in, in as a forward-facing figure and someone that has dealt with the public and, and, and all this, how do you think the uh, the public perceives you, your your peers, your colleagues? What do you think your outward-facing identity is to them? And and what, what do you think they, what do you think that you mean to the city? And what do you think you mean to your colleagues? What do you think you represent to them? Well, public face, let's start with that. Sure. We're uh, developers are agents of change. Right. We're responsible for... Um, implementing the, the physical changes to the cities. We're the, we're the bricks and mortar side of, call it the applied science, much like engineering. We're not the, um, you have the urban planning side, the education side, the research side, the developers and con contractors are the physically building the city. And as agents of change, where we've been generally, in some senses reviled for centuries. Um, a great story about London, a development that uh, Grosvenor did there 300 years ago. And it went all the way to Parliament to complain about how they were destroying the heart of London. That neighborhood, wow. and I can't remember the name of it now, is one of the most beloved neighborhoods in in central London uh, mm. these days. But 300 years ago, it was destroying the fabric of the city. Wow. And that's what we do. We, we as developers, builders, we, especially in an urban setting, in brownfield developments, we're tearing things down to build new things. And that means change. And that's challenging. Uh, as humans, we, we react usually pretty negatively to something changing in our, particularly our neighborhood, if we've identified with it really strongly. Do you want trees uh, in your backyard? Do you not want trees in your backyard? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, even small things like replacing a sidewalk gets people upset. I've heard of petitions of, you know, people <laughs> upset, don't, don't widen my sidewalk or narrow it or cut down the trees or plant new trees. So any change is difficult and we represent change. Mm. And that's, that's why I love it because I do like the dyna dynamism and I look at a city as an, as an organism. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of us do, but 
in that we're, um, we're, we're pulling the carpet out from people half the time. Mm. So you're making some people happy and some people really upset. Hopefully the people you're building new homes for, you're making very happy or new offices for, you're making happy. Mm-hmm. In the context of the industry, I think there's, um, Vancouver's a very unique animal in just the size of the city we are. We're still, we're very small, we're very young. What, what, what qualifies as small? Well, our metro region is 2.6, 2.8 million, something in that range. So on a global scale, that's Mm -hmm. really small. Right. We're still the, the third largest city in Canada. I have no idea where we are in the context of North America, but in the global scale where cities are 10 to now 20 some odd, uh, million mm-hmm. we're really small mm-hmm. but we we hit above our weight in what we do in in on the urban scale yeah. on our urban planning and our how we approach urbanity from a societal level how we've agreed to create the city that we have so sorry rounding back to your question on how how, the, <laughs> how it's perceived within uh within the industry i yeah. think there, there's a lot of very people go into the business um i think because they have an interest in in how the city evolves and how people live and what they're going to live in. Right. Um, and similar to, you know, similar to any, I think, trade, there's people who are earnestly just fascinated by it. And there's people who, want, who are in it just because they want to make a living. Mm-hmm. But my experience is most people in it, most developers are in it because they, they love building the city. Mm-hmm. So now, okay, so that's developers, but what about you? What do you think role, what's the role that you've played over the past 20 years in the industry? Huh. <laughs> I see you though. I see you yeah. sidestep and step yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, you know, I've got, I've got such a, I've, I have a very, very background between my, my engineering, um, my resorts, my hospitality background to begin with, which is right. the family business, um, and then structural engineering and then resort real estate and then urban real estate. So I'm a, a bit of a different animal um, in that sense, which I'm, I'm very happy about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've also... I, that experience has given me, has led me into, I'm not a long-term Vancouverite for one. Right. Only, I've been back here for 13 years. So I'm still a bit of an outsider in that sense, which yeah. which is which is funny. I think you have to be here 25 years. Is that what so you, they you've say? you've got two more, at least <laughs> living before you, you actually count as a Vancouverite. Yeah, thanks, man. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so actually, I, I, I don't know. I think I've, I've had my 13 years here. I've worked for two different companies. Um, I've got to work with a lot of professionals in Vancouver, a lot of the municipalities. And I, I think, um, uh, I think I'm perceived as being relatively easy to work with and knowledgeable and, and passionate about the industry. Mm-hmm. So, and, and again, most of the people I work with are, but I think there's a level of common respect within the planning world, the architectural world, the design world that I've been lucky to be a part of. Mm-hmm. What's your identity to yourself? Huh? <laughs> Damn it. I'm coming with the, <laughs> I'm coming with the heavy yeah. hitters. Um, you know, there's two there's two parts. Yeah. Of, there's two parts of that question. Number one is like, yeah, who do you think you are to yourself? But who do you think you are in the context of the environment that you've interacted with? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's not just me myself, but it's also symbiotic in terms of like, well, what have I done for the city, and how have yeah. I interacted with that, and what's my place in that? You yeah. know, and, and I know that that can be a very complex and dynamic question, and um, you know, but we do want to get into the, to the complexity and the dy- and how dynamic it is but it's yeah. also people just need people need to understand right and and we struggle with that a lot is putting ourselves in a box yeah. and so if you could put yourself in a box what would that be you know and that's a, that's a hard question to go yeah yeah i think the um the collaborator role which i think is the development construction is, is it's um it's getting people all on the same path right. and and the same vision and interested in, in getting the same result. 
And I think a lot of us in that world, the role we play, whether it's as a development manager or, or um, uh, as the owner of a company, it's, it's getting your vision translated mm. through a series of approvals, uh, through the public process, and sharing that vision. So I think my, my role and my strength has been able, been able to collaborate and bring disparate groups of people together to get something started, it, taken from a vision point to a completion point. Mm-hmm. And that final, again, that bricks and mortar, being able to touch the building and uh, yeah. you know, know what you've, you've worked anywhere from three to 14 years on one project. Wow. Uh, to get to that end point is, is really satisfying, but it is, it's all communication. It's all bringing people together. So, right, right, right. so your, your question, I think my, my skill set is, has been in, in that coordination and that uh, pulling people together. Leadership. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, amazing. What does it mean to build a great city and twofold to that question, build a great city in a generalistic term? And then how has Vancouver become the city that it is that's that um, you know fights above its weight class? Like Vancouver is such an odd place, and I can't really wrap my head around it in terms of what the culture is, what the city is, the geographic location, all these different things. So, what makes Van- like Vancouver what it is? And maybe if you could relate that back to what makes a great city, because I do believe that Vancouver is a great city. Yeah. Well, if you back up a bit as to why we live in cities, why do um, we live in cities? Yeah. And we have for. Six or eight thousand years, mm-hmm. you know, in our in our history as as our species, we haven't changed in something like seventy five thousand years genetically, mm-hmm. or massively. Um, but we've we've since the agricultural revolution twelve fifteen thousand years ago, we've started moving into larger clans and groups in cities, mm-hmm. and then we've we've taken been able to take on individual trades versus doing everything or farming. And I'm uh, fresh off of reading yeah. Sapiens, so I'm loving oh, this. <laughs> one, of my, okay, yeah. one of my favorite books. You've got you've Sweet. got all that. So we live in cities because we can interact and we can specialize. Mm. And the successful city um, allows us to to move into that specialty and know we have the support of the doctors, the dentists, the lawyers, the the artists, the mm. musicians, the everything that we we can't specialize in ourselves, but it's but it's there. And it allows us to interact with those, with the other people. So the successful city in my mind is is the is the place where you can be your your true self mm. and flourish mm. uh, in that capacity. And the city allows you to do it. The city, the culture in which we live. And I think Vancouver in that context, we're extremely fortunate in that we have probably one of the most open societies in the world, if not the most. Mm. We have one of the most successful experiments in urbanity. Uh, in a very, very young city in just over a century old uh, with a sordid past uh, as most colonized, as all colonized cities have. But in the context of what we have today, we have all the factors that allow a city and the individuals within that city to be successful with the same challenges as every other city, Um, affordability being one of the big ones. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably the biggest, yeah. Yeah. uh, yeah, on, you know, on top of yeah, a, a lot of other societal <laughs> things, but yeah, that's another, another another pipeline we go down. But Vancouver has evolved to punch above its weight because it as this the size of it, uh, but also the way it has been developed under a social contract in the last 30, 40 years is very unique. It's certainly extremely unique in the North American context. Okay, the social contract. I don't know what that means. The call it the conscious decision in the, call it the 60s through the 90s to uh, populate the downtown core, 
to build in density, transit, open space, public amenities to create a livable space, going back to the original points, where the citizens can thrive mm. and live. And it was a very, a very Canadian solution, if I can, having lived in the US for, for seven years. Um, we're very lucky in that we have we have the, the idea of a social contract and that the, the common good, the community good mm. is a part of the conversation versus the the uh, the pure religion of capitalism which <laughs> where, which you find in the US yeah. where the buck rules and it certainly rules the bottom line everywhere every, every across the world these days it is our yep. religion it's our common language it is um but we have the sort of the the inherent nature of the canadian reality is is the compromise and the social good mm. and that has that led us to what we, we call vancouverism which is a form of development and a, a form of a downtown that is extremely successful, world-renowned for how successful it is, and now and being copied across mm. the world, both our individual forms of development and our and our form of urbanity. Mm. And we export our, our design experts experts around the world for that purpose. Wow! So we'll all identify Vancouver as an amazing architectural and design city, especially among, amongst its. I mean, geez. I mean, I work downtown. I look to the left. I have mountains. I look to the right. I look to the right. I have mountains. I look to the left. I have ocean. And it's just, it's, it, it, it's one of the most beautiful places in the world. I don't know how else to put that. And, but I think of when I think of Vancouverism, I think of uh, a culture and a lifestyle and a type of person. I don't think of a style of architecture. Yeah. What is Vancouver, uh, Vancouverism from a de- uh, from a development standpoint? And as maybe, um, um. Uh, what is the word you used earlier? Urban urbanity. Urbanity. Yeah. What, what does that mean? So, difference between architecture and sort of form of right, development. Of uh, one could argue, and I'll argue that a lot of our architecture is pretty basic, yeah. banal. Yeah. But it's also, again, very Canadian that we don't have a lot of standouts. We're getting more recently some of the star architecture in town, which yeah. are some standout buildings. But the it's interesting if you argue that Canadian culture is more of the fit in for the common good. Yeah. Our buildings kind of do that. We for, we form this this mass uh, that is nothing has really been shocking until till recently and stood mm-hmm. out. And it's it's house people. So it's more we architecture is a separate discussion. I think from form of development and sure. Vancouverism is really it's kind of a blend of. And I'm uh, again I'm going to preface this with there are people in Vancouver who have written on Vancouverism. Our former city planner, uh, Larry Beasley, Larry Beasley rather, has just put out a book called Vancouverism, and wow. he is, I think, he's the expert on it. Mm. Um, the Canadian government did an exhibit in London a number of years ago, uh, uh, specifically on Vancouverism, mm. uh, with with uh, a couple of lo- local writers and architects and presenters. So, I'm, again, as an applied developer, I'll speak to what I know about it. But we have we have some amazing experts on it who speak around the world on it. A number of our former city planners, actually. But if you take kind of the New York brownstone townhouse, three, four-story brownhouse, and the Hong Kong tower, mm. put them together, and then give them some space between the towers, that's Vancouver's. Very, very simply. Mm. You add transit, public parks, and amenities, and those together form what I, what I would define uh, in my in- loose engineering term as, <laughs> as Vancouverism. So our, if you look at the downtown core, all the townhomes, which is eyes on the streets and walkability and that approachable scale from a pedestrian, it's mainly what you see when you're walking down the street. Mm. From a distance, you see the towers. But when you're walking down those those townhome streets, it's the townhomes and the, and the stairs, 
the living rooms, the bedrooms, the voyeurism into those spaces that forms similar to the New York brownstone. Mm. That walkability and that friendly neighborhood. Mm. What we did is is agree that we needed densities. So we put towers on top of those, but instead of towers in the park, which is a common form of development where you just plunk a tower down and there's nothing around it, we surrounded it with three to six to eight story podiums of uh, townhomes and then flats above that to form uh, a, a base and then a tower above. Mm. So without getting into the architecture, the form of the development uh, of so the, the tower and podium is 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 exactly that. Whoa. <laughs> so when you're speaking about this, who made who made these decisions? Who created this and why? What's the, what was the point? What was the purpose? Well, there are no new ideas. So of course. Um, this is you know the the idea of of residential above retail goes back thousands oh, of yeah, years. Oh yeah, for sure, yeah. Romans did it. Uh, I'm sure that it was done before then. The tower form on top of that has also been done. And there's there's examples in the West End that were done in the 60s. The mm -hmm. West End was the first sort of big tower redevelopment in Vancouver. Okay. As uh, and Gordon Price, who's one of our again, one of our urban experts, speaks to that, does tours around the West End. Right. The uh, the Western was redeveloped from a bunch of old heritage homes because it became a very undesirable neighborhood when pollution from False Creek of all the heavy industry was there. Wow. Devalued those those homes and people essentially didn't want to work there. Um, so in the late 50s, 60s, a lot of these were being being torn down and we started building the first level of high density towers uh, in the downtown core, which is now one of our favorite neighborhoods, which is the West End of Vancouver. Oh my gosh. Quiet, bucolic, uh, but very high density. Hmm. So it moved from that into uh, after Expo 86, which was a huge turning point for the city. Right. We welcomed the world and the world showed up. A lot of um, uh, offshore development, um, offshore capital started pouring into town. And the development of, of North Falls Creek, the old Expo lands, was, the big, was a big turning point. And at that point, it was a partnership between the private developers, the city, and the citizenry on what should be developed there. Mm -hmm. And that turned into, I, again, with my rough knowledge of it, sort of the turning point of Vancouverism and what then developed as the downtown core, which we then exported out to some of the suburban areas in, in Metro Vancouver. Again, in this context of Vancouverism, it, it started in Vancouver proper. Some of the, most of the urban centers have, have now have developments of high density centers of a similar vein under the, under the Metro Vancouver uh, plan. Mm -hmm. And other cities, Toronto probably being the best example, has now gone full hog on, on Vancouverism, the same form of tower and podium development. Wow. That's so interesting. How does Vancouverism then, as a style of development, affect the people? How has that affected our culture? How has that affected the, our way of living? How has that shaped shaped our identity? Well, there's there's now about 120 to 140 thousand people living in the downtown peninsula. Right. So you go from a, a typical North American city, car oriented. Let me back up. Going way way back right. to the 20s, 30s, Vancouver was a um, uh, a tram city. Uh, had a network of Surface, surface cars, surface rail, uh, built by developers to to uh, to sell their sell their developments. Similar to, we're almost the same age as Los Angeles. What? Yeah, city is about the same age. Uh, 1886, Vancouver was founded. I think 1884 or something. City of LA wow. was founded. San Francisco, much older, but yeah. LA and Vancouver, similar age, radically different, radically uh, different uh, cultures, and uh, LA, California in general, took on the car full hog. Use that term twice. Now I'm going to start using that. Uh, <laughs> I've never said that before. 
um, full tilt, they went for the vehicle, right? Nice pivot. That's massive, great. massive highways uh, everywhere. And But Vancouver did much the same. We burned our trolleys. Mm. We dumped them in the ocean and we got rid of the, the, the rail car system that was built in this city, in San Francisco, in LA, and we converted to, to the vehicle. Mm. Um, so again, young city, that the suburban neighborhoods evolved. Um, we then adopted the car, but we ran into, again, we could have gone down the pathway of a typical North American city and sprawled, but we have the barrier of the mountains to the north and the east and the border to the south and the ocean to the west. So we have this constrained land base. We brought in the agri agricultural land reserve, I think in the late 70s, maybe okay. early 80s. By the which, way, podcast licensed to be wrong. It's all oh, good. Okay. Good, good. <laughs> fact check. Yeah. yeah. There's a fact check on this. Uh, they're about somewhere, the agricultural land reserve, which is, which was a big, which is a massive thing for Metro Vancouver because we have such a small base of, of um, agricultural land. That really confined the city and it gave us a very different condition. Mm. So as we started to grow, um, the big move to put highways in in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, um, which was fought massively by Jane Jacobs in New York, who's uh, sort of the founder of modern urbanism or the guru of modern urbanism. Um, that battle happened here, but it was, it was fought actively against highways, but it was also the economics weren't there to really support it. There was a plan for a massive highway through what's now Chinatown and Gastown, and then across another bridge crossing uh, east of the Lionsgate, mm. Project 99 or something it was called. Massive like six lane highway, which have le leveled all of what's historic Gastown today. That was met with major protests and was stopped, partly because there was no funding for it, but also because there was strong activism against it. So while every other city was building highways, we weren't. So we had our surface streets, we had our small downtown core, didn't have a lot of people living in it but we didn't go the path of, of most other North American larger cities and build these massive highways, which they're now tearing down everywhere. Of course, which is uh, incredibly interesting in itself. And let's make, I, I do want to stay on this current trajectory, but quick side note, can you explain what highways do to a city and what they do to a culture and why that's relevant and why it's met with so much protest for someone who might not know? <laughs> Just, I was in Salt Lake last night. Mm. And oh my it's, gosh. it's literally, yeah, uh, I've been bouncing around a lot. It's literally <laughs> six lane roads. They're not highways through downtown. And they walk, we walked about 25 minutes to an amazing Cajun restaurant, mm. but such a horrible experience. And you've got cars going, 100 kilometers an hour through a, a what would be our equivalent of Burrard mm -hmm. or Thurlow. Yeah. And it's just, it's a, it's not a pleasant experience. So as you slow traffic down um, and you allow pedestrians and bikers and, and people, strollers and wheelchairs to, to get around and enjoy the experience, your city becomes more enjoyable. I think this, I think it's um, Edward Glazer again, the, the slower you walk, down a street, the more interesting it is. Mm. If you're if you're walking by the the back end of a Safeway, the loading bay, if that's on your main street, it's butt ugly. You're not going to slow down and take a look. You just want to get out of there. If you're one, walking by 16 foot storefronts and everyone's different and they've got places to sit and planters or or greenery of some sort, you're going to walk walk more slowly and enjoy the experience. And you you might stop as well. Mm. So most the European cities we love oh my gosh. have very little back of house facing the street, right? They're, they're just articulated little storefronts and it's always something interesting and fascinating and half the streets are curved 
And there's always a sense of discovery as you're going around a corner or a bend or something. Which leads to connection, a human connection. Yeah, it's yeah. It, it's an excuse to bump into people, to sit, to have a coffee, to sit in a park, yeah. to play in a park. Yeah. So the, the superhighways um, bisected uh, these cities, often tearing out, and actually we, the best example here is Hogan's Alley, where we right. built the Georgia Viaducts. And we we did it there to tear down what was a a was perceived as a perceived as an undesirable neighborhood because it was it was Vancouver's only black population. Mm. Um, it was an easy target politically at the time, and that's where they put the the start of the highway system was the Georgia Viaduct, mm. and that happened in cities across North America, mm. where the the poor neighborhoods were seen as as urban blight. And it was easy to tear them, knock them down, and put up highways. So what happens? Say I'm living in Hogan's Alley, and all of a sudden they want to put this development in. What happens as a, as a citizen of that area? What happens to me? I don't understand. Today it would be it'd probably be a very different conversation. What happened then? Back then, yeah. it was you had very little say. Really, uh, I think, and the general population probably, to be blunt, didn't give a shit. Wow. Um, and we're probably on board with tearing down that neighborhood because that was that was the other people. That was that wasn't that wasn't us. That wasn't us. It was them. Is, yeah, which is a horrifying thing to a horrifying concept, but mm -hmm. it still happens. Polarization. But at that time, you know, we had we had riots in in Chinatown, Japantown, and the this there was, I think, very little empathy toward groups that weren't the the power structure mm. you know the white anglo-saxon politicians at the time had free range to to do whatever they do wanted whatever to they want. to these other neighborhoods so wow. again some great writing on hogan's hogan's alley some great history on that mm. but really good example when those viaducts come down my understanding is that should be a celebration of what was or an acknowledgement of what was lost there wow uh, can you give some context on hogan's alley and uh, um uh, i looked into her briefly stephanie Stephanie Allen. Uh, and the, and the yeah. work that she does. And, and you know, maybe just for someone who has no idea what we're talking about at all and why that's significant and what it means to Vancouver, et cetera, et cetera. I'm going to preface this with I know very little about it. It's all other, good. <laughs> other than there, there has been, and Stephanie particularly has done a lot of work on it. For sure. There's, there's a rich history of, of black culture right. in British Columbia, uh, both Hogan's Alley neighborhood, Salt Spring Island yeah. at a time. Yeah. Um, a, a, a decent population at one point, decent sized population. Um, largely pushed out um and and uh given a hard time by the establishment right. so i think the efforts now are to recognize what was there and what was done to to uh the, the black population in british columbia at the time mm. uh tied to what was done to the chinese population the japanese and others yeah. so i don't I, I unfortunately don't know a lot of the detail mm -hmm. but i do know there are again stephanie's an expert on it yeah so sure. and again the viaducts coming down a big part of that is re-knitting re those neighborhoods and going what is back, that happening? Uh, I don't know. I okay. believe I believe the funding has been approved. Part of the Northeast False Creek plan, which was just approved by the city uh, last year, I think, is the the viaducts coming down is a big part of that. So the buildings built around the stadium are actually designed such that they they have their entrances now at the at the viaduct level. The viaducts come down; they can they can move the entry down to the what will be the ground level. So, re-knitting that old the old street structure and bringing reconnecting Chinatown to to False Creek is a big wow. part of that plan. Wow. Wow. And again, acknowledging what was done to Hogan's Alley and somehow commemorating um, that community is is a part of it. Wow! Wow! Very cool! Very cool! Um, so again, how has to relate development to culture? 
Vancouver has this weird culture that I like can't really figure out. Like it's half like Lululemon and yoga <laughs> and it's half like hikers. And then it's yeah. like, and then there's also like, you know, the bustling, like, you know, for me, the, the, you know, I work in Coal, Har- Coal, Coal Harbor and, and I see the, the venture capitalist side and the, the junior mining and I see all these. And then there's all the, the, the East Asian influence. It's just this weird place. And I can't like figure out why it is this way. And so I pose that question to you. Why is Vancouver this way that it is? Isn't it amazing? It's crazy. It's, but it's cool. It's, uh, and I think we, we've briefly talked about Douglas Copeland and yeah. his book, City of Glass. Absolutely. And I think one of the, um, yeah, I'm right here. Douglas, I got you. There you go. It's a good read. <laughs> yes. um, one of the formative books for me in coming back to Vancouver and, and somewhere in there, or a quote from him elsewhere, is that Vancouver is being such a young city. We're, we're different from all the other major cities in North America and around the world in that we don't know what we are yet. Mm-hmm. So anything goes. Sorry, Douglas, that's a total bastardization, bastardization it's all, it's of your quote. But, uh, something along those lines. That right. We're young. We don't know what we are yet. Mm. That allows us to be anything. Mm-hmm. And that that's such that a you is, know, yeah. we're the teenager who can be whatever the hell they want. <laughs> so you've you've got the mix of of the Lululemon, the bankers, the beatniks, the you know still some of the old some of the old hippie culture. Love it, uh, and it's a little bit of everything, and it, um, it it's a wonderful mix that hasn't it's not putting everybody in a box yet. No, and hopefully won't for a while. Mm-hmm. We're we're growing. Uh, in the time I was out of the country, which is almost almost 10 years, the city changed a huge amount. It mm-hmm. changes daily, as we talked about the beginning. And it's amazing and it's it brings challenges. Mm-hmm. But the opportunity that's presented in what Vancouver is, the population we have from all over the world, the level of education we have, and the mix of peoples, uh, it, it makes it a, a very exciting small city. Mm-hmm. So how do you create, so what is the, and again, just please extrapolate and, and, and think freely in this. And how do you, if Vancouver from here, from this point that we're at right now, from as we understand it, is this cool, funky melting pot that like doesn't really exist anywhere else in the world and these like kind of geographical advantages and how we've been built and and the how developers have come in and, and literally built the ground underneath us. It's this unique spot. Now, how does this go the right way? And how does this go the wrong way? Hmm. And how do we, most importantly, push it the right way or to what we perceive to be the right way? Well, that, that's very timely. It's just where I, where I am in yes. my career, sort of pivot point on how do we push it the right way? Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, I can't remember if we talked about my, my, my Vancouver is the world's only hope cab ride. A little bit, but please, yeah. please go. So uh, long story short, um, hey, it could be a long story uh, long. It's all good. <laughs> hopped, and again, this really motivating story for me is particularly in what I do. Hopped into a cab. It's probably now two years ago, mm. going to a friend's birthday party. And usually I'm usually not a big chatter. I'll sit in the back, but I ended up having a conversation with this guy and he, lovely man, ended up um, looking at me and say, hey, dude, you're an old soul. Do you mind if I tell you some stuff? I'm like, oh, that's always a good start. Yeah. <laughs> Flatter me with, with thinking I have more, more depth than I actually come across. Right, as. right, right. But um, basically he was, uh, he's, I uh, was trained, university trained, but moved to Canada because in his view, the mix of culture, the politics, the environment, the built environment that we have here is where he wanted his kids to grow up. They're both in university. And he said, He's tra- he had the opportunity to travel all over the world, visit a number of cities, visit a number of places before moving here. But in his view, Vancouver's the world's best hope and mm. possibly only hope mm. to get shit figured out. Mm. And that's why he wanted his kids to live here. Mm. Um, because of the, f- the freedoms, the mix of cultures, the size that we are. 
So he's telling me this story and I'm like, we ended up ta talking for about 10 minutes after we stopped <laughs> and I get out of the car and I'm literally bawling. Wow. Uh, Cause he just, he says things, he said it much more eloquently than, than I, and he's given up his entire life so his kids can, can go to school here and live here and thrive here. Um, and it was just a, it, it really set for me, uh, an outside perspective on what, to your point, we take for granted. Mm. When we started this conversation. We take for granted where we live and how lucky we are and the mix we have, the freedoms we have. Mm. And if we can't figure it out, and if we don't put our minds to figuring out how to solve our local problems, but also the global problems, mm. if we can't do that here, where can we? Where can we? So we have that that leads to, again, for me at least, an obligation to to start figuring out how to how to change the way we do things. And in my world of development and construction. We're very old school, very bricks and mortar, mm. but and we were a huge contributor to greenhouse gas emissions and, and how we live, but also our mental health or social health. So mm. we we need to pivot as a as an industry and as a city. And Vancouver can do it. We have some brilliant brilliant minds here mm. in design, construction, marketing, everything. So, so how do we push it the right way? And what is the right way? We start having the conversations and it goes, again, it goes back to sitting in the cafe, comes, comes back to this yeah. and having the conversations. Who do we talk to that can, can help us push things a little bit? Right. It's, you know, the, the ship doesn't change course in one big move. It's a, it's a, the world of, of development, construction, urban planning is, is, it's pretty slow. Uh, and we've been, we've been building, you know, homes and buildings for a good six, 8,000 years. And uh, we still can't get air conditioning to work. And it just, <laughs> we just can't. I don't yeah, know yeah, why. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we can start making those incremental changes. And there are people who are doing it. Um, we're building Tallwood. So UBC, the Tallwood building, Acton Austria Architects, 18-story uh, CLT, cross-laminated cross -laminated timber buildings, the tallest mm. wood building in the world. Wow. Um, it was built in a record schedule, uh, being wood versus concrete or steel. It's prefabbed and just put into place. Uh, it's a student residence building now at UBC. Wow. UBC, again, an institution, um, all our universities can experiment a bit. Uh, UBC is at the forefront of that with building technology. So pushing sustainability, different building materials, wood being a major one now, where we're starting to build, I think, up to 12 stories we can do now in wood, whereas a couple of years ago it was six. Mm. So, and heavy timber, which we can do, we've got a lot of timber. Uh, we should be the experts at that. We should and, be. And we're starting to be. So that's that's an example where the industry has taken on the challenge and started to change mm -hmm. and pushing things the right way mm. and experimenting a bit. And the only thing we can do is experiment. Sometimes it'll work, sometimes it'll fail, but we have the the culture and the um, the institutions and the individuals, the developers, the architects who are willing to, to push it that way. Mm -hmm. So it's happening. So the question is, how do we, how do we keep pushing it? How do we keep more? pushing it? Yeah. And how, yeah. do, how do we each participate in that? And that comes down to the, to the citizenry level as well. Mm. Um, you know, in the big projects, other than out UBC, which has its own approval process, but everything in, this, in Metro Vancouver and all the cities goes through a public approval process, mm. whether, um, and especially rezonings. And the opportunity, each resident, every resident has an opportunity and an obligation to go out and speak to, to something they think is pushing things the right way. Hmm. I talk a lot about collective identity and I talk a lot about um, what the heck our collective identity is. And it seems as if we have a very clear collective identity around um, how we've built our cities. Vancouverism is a thing. It's it's very well known. People understand what it is and it's beautiful and innovative in, in the space that it occupies. Culturally, 
that's where I was trying to kind of link a mm. little bit of how has Vancouver Vancouverism actually shaped our culture and, and given us identity culturally because I don't really think we have one. I also don't know if we need one. Um, but, you know, for instance, you said that we have that, you know, Vancouverism is the 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 mix of, you know, the Hong Kong sky rise and then the, the, you said brown, brown, brown brick, brownstone, brownstone yeah. you know, from, yeah. from out of East and, and put that together. And that's what we have here. And that's creative Vancouverism. But we haven't created Vancouver culture. And I think that I'm such a believer from hu- human psychology that our environment will craft us in so many ways that we undermine constantly. Mm. So how is our environment of Vancouverism and how we've designed our living spaces, architected our, our living spaces, actually influence us as a people? And how does it need to influence us as a people in, in order for us to push forward in the right way? So we talked about a little bit from, you know, in terms of developmental pushing in the right way. Well, how does development influence our culture, which pushes us the right way? Because it comes down to the people. has a huge impact. Um, and there's, there's a lot of work being done on that. Another local author, um, Charles Montgomery, wrote Happy City. Mm. Uh, great book okay. on, on how we live together. Okay. Have a lot of, we have a lot of local talent on design and writing. Oh my gosh. We also have, we have a thriving art scene despite affordability issues and losing studios. We have an extremely strong arts culture in Vancouver. Uh, we don't seem to think so when we live in it, but so, you know, like, from an outside perspective, yeah. we have one of the best transit systems in the world. Uh-huh. We, th- we think we have one of the worst transit systems in the world. <laughs> I know. We have one of the most thriving art, art communities in Canada, and we think we have, we're losing all of our artists. We think we're losing all our young people. We're not. Yeah. We have a net gain in, in sub 30 people moving into the city year after year after year. Yeah. So we have very Canadian mentality to think we, we suck, uh, but we're actually doing really well at a lot of things. How the form of development impacts our culture is something I think that is evolving. And again, people are, are there's a number of people writing on it. But we, uh, I worked on a project. This is the 14 year one, mm. where we challenged the architect and the uh, the landscape architect to design an, an amenity space, a community amenity space that would actually allow people to or force people to bump into each other and socialize. Right. And the the marketing company we worked with, Rennie uh, Marketing. And full credit to them for a marketing campaign that was that was targeted locally, and it sold. I think something like 65% of the people who bought there lived within uh, five kilometers of the site. Wow! So it was very local. Very, we had more families, young kids, babies, pregnant families move into there um, a year ago when we, when we finalized the building mm. than I've seen in any other building. So mm. the design and the marketing was very intentional. It was designed for community building within the building itself, but also with integrating uh, with, the, with the broader neighborhood. The marketing was designed and targeted locally, and that worked. So to your question of form of development, the you know, you, you know tower after tower after tower after tower, there are subtle differences within, within the design of those, both their connection to the block and the neighborhood, but also internally that help people interact and live as a community. And I think that's that's an opportunity for us that we're we're still learning, um, and for the city as well to learn how how the codes limited us some time from doing that, and the we're so um, we are very codified, hmm. and the codes don't always they're they're more safety focused, which they need to be, versus community focused. So the the ability of the planners and some of the best planners I've worked with have. The ability and the flexibility to say, yeah, this will be this will be a good design feature. This will allow 
people to enjoy living here more, allow them to meet their neighbors more. And it may not be in the code as such, but let's do this. Mm. And I think having that conversation, which the planners are fully up for if they can, um, is more and more what we have to do. So designing our, our blocks, our larger developments, our master plan developments, down to our individual buildings for community, loneliness uh, is one of our, our number one killers. Mm -hmm. uh, it's becoming an epidemic worldwide and particularly in North, North America. Seniors, uh, young single men and women, uh, it's becoming a huge problem. And how we design our buildings for people to, to interact is a huge part of that. Can we, and we can, design them such that, such that you have a neighborhood within your building. I, I've, I've lived in three single family homes. I've lived in 27 homes. Mm -hmm. uh, three of those were single family, well, three of those were single families that I, that I had and then where I grew up. But I know more people in my condo in Gastown than I've ever known in my neighborhoods. Wow. So part of it is social effort, part of it is design. Um, I live in, in Woodwards in Gastown, great amenity spaces brilliantly uh, full credit to to West Bank for having designed fantastic amenities in those buildings um, could use another elevator too in the big tower but <laughs> no, that's another story uh, but people meet each other and I know half the people on my floor which is more than I've known when I well, lived yeah. on a city block so I don't know a single person on my floor I haven't been there very long but I don't know a single person on my floor so go ask for some butter. Yeah. <laughs> you got any sugar? <laughs> yeah. You got any sugar? Yeah. Or vodka or something. <laughs> or vodka yeah. or something yeah. like that. So what is it about? So how do you build community physically? Physically build community. Is it it's amenity spaces, it's lots of elevators, it's open concepts, it's parks, it's I don't know what it is. It's it's a bunch of things. Right. And I don't think there's one uh pat solution for it all. Right, but again, right. there's lots lots of writing on it. Um, from from uh, your perspective and your your experience, well, it, it comes to the I mean, big picture: um, transit, open spaces, park, city amenities, and that's where the city of Vancouver has done a really good job over the years of of again slotting these developments into places with with a requirement for amenity contributions. Each development, every development goes through rezoning, pays money to community amenities um to form either either park spaces or um built spaces that go to community uses of some sort and most of the other municipalities in vancouver have picked up on that so the the purchasers actually pay for that right. ultimately yeah uh so it's a tax on on new residents but that's part of it you need the amenity structures you need an amenity rich neighborhood so people have things to do groceries liquor stores entertainment parks places for people to go then the buildings themselves need to be able to allow people to live comfortably, safely. Uh, safety is a big thing. So parkade structures, which we may eventually get rid of when we get rid of our cars until we get flying cars. Let's see what, let's see. <laughs> Automated cars first. Yeah. But, you know, safety of, of parking structures. You get a lot of guys designing things and safety and security for women is a completely different oh, yeah. um, animal perspective, you know, from uh, which to be, I didn't really get. Because I've never I've never felt threatened anywhere in Vancouver, yeah. but a an unlit parkade uh, without safety phones or a safety button is a threat to a lot of people, not just women, but to, to a lot yeah, of people. Absolutely. So that taking that the male perspective of design and realizing we're designing for children, seniors, women uh, across the board, wow. and thinking of small things like putting a, uh, a, a an alarm button in your mm -hmm. parkade mm -hmm. is really important mm -hmm. for people to feel comfortable. Comfort, safety, security, and then social interaction in spaces. So the, the one building I was talking about, um, 
we actually designed dueling barbecues. This was the uh, the landscape architect, um, PWL, came up with the idea of instead of let's, we needed two barbecues for the number of people there. So let's put one over here and put one over here. And they're like, you know what? Let's put them together so people actually have to talk to each other when they're barbecuing. And you'll put the tables over here, but put the barbecues together. Mm-hmm. Just a really simple move mm-hmm. to create some accidental interaction. Uh, we put a dog park uh, and a dog wash. My pet pet peeve literally is to put a dog wash in every building. So <laughs> you can, again, it's a social thing. People love dogs. Um, and we have a lot of dogs in buildings in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. So put a pet wash in, put a little dog uh, run in so people are, are can meet their pets. Hmm. I know more, I meet people more through their pets first. Oh, of course. And in all the pet names. <laughs> and You, you know, might not know their name. Hey, you're Charlie's parents don't know your names but (laughs) that's what we do and that's how you start to get to know people so they're they're really easy for the most part design moves but you need you need some room in the building to be able to do that and certain like burnaby has a a minimum amenity area requirement Mm. uh surrey does actually sorry um of i think it's 3.2 square feet per uh per home Mm. so that adds up to a lot of space we were doing uh, a, a development there that ended up with 32,000 square feet of amenity wow. space. So the key is, you know, you got all the space and you see a lot of developments where it's just like there's one treadmill and then there's nobody and then there's a, there's a meeting table and there's never anybody in those spaces. So the secret is how do you design those spaces so people actually use them mm-hmm. and they interact. And so that's the challenge. Your thoughts on that? Uh, it, it's 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 it has to be an intentional process. It's kind of like like casting retail on the ground floor. You want to you want retail that's going to complement each other mm. uh, and bring traffic to one store and one store that may not be pulling traffic from a distance. You want them to come to say the grocery store. So did you and say you say cat string casting casting casting? Okay. Yeah, okay, got it. Yeah. So actually, literally going through an effort of of casting your retail mix on a, on a podium level. Got so it. What's going to what's the best synergy between your retailers? Wow. Um, and Rise, my former company, to their credit, was doing a lot of work on on local retailers and how to get them in because mm-hmm. we're the 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 taxes and the triple net rents are really hurting a lot of our retailers in mm-hmm. Vancouver. So how do you, how do you get them to be successful? How do you get people to visit them? Um, and what's what's that exercise? And then for the amenity spaces, you need you really need a psychologist or an yeah, urban psychologist yeah, 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 to plan yeah. how people are going to use them. And mm-hmm. I don't that's I think that's a growth area for us. Yeah, totally. Again, there's a number of local people who are doing research and writing on that, and we're we're slowly starting to adopt it. Mm. Uh, but it also needs to be it needs to be done in, in concert with the cities because the developers get penalized for for extra space. So if we want to put extra space in, that's going to make it a better community. The cities need to develop some level of flexibility such that 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 becomes it's either incentivized um, versus just provide space because we'll just provide corn shell space and then leave it for the for the strata to manage or shut down, which yeah. often happens. Right. It has to fit within a strata budget, which is another challenge. Um, they have to be able to operate it mm. and that you get a bunch of homeowners together and it's it's a non-professional group that's trying to manage a building and cut their costs yeah so you have to be able to design it such that it works economically it works socially mm. and it's, it's hit and miss to be yeah. honest yeah it's a challenge so <clears throat> you've gone all these places uh you've done development essentially all over the world you've lived in new how many cities have you lived in do you know uh three four eight eight cities yeah. predominantly north america yeah yeah so You've been all these places, and yet now you live in Gastown. Yeah. What is it about Gastown 
I love Gastown. Why, why do you, you have such a passion yeah. for Gastown. Why is that? Oh, it's gritty. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it is, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's the best and the worst of us. Mm. And it's, it's our, our, our lack of, of social empathy and planning is, is on exhibit there daily. And it, that's a challenge. We need to be able, we, as a society, there's a great quote about uh, a society is reflected by how it treats its poorest. Of course. And we're a long ways off from figuring that out. Yes. Um, so it's a bit of, it's for me, it's a bit of a reminder of, of how lucky and entitled I have been in my life. Mm. Uh, but it's also, it's, it's one of the best restaurants. Mm -hmm. uh, it's ac access to the water, cafes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and, and great old buildings. Uh, the, I can't remember if we've talked about this or not. The the soul of a building yes. changes as it ages, and the you more it gets, you took it right off my page, my friend. There you go. So the buildings in in Gastown have a lot of soul and yeah. history and uh, energy from you know a hundred years of people it's living wild. there. Wow, you can feel the bricks, and there's something there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's just that that human energy that's been there for that amount wow. of time. Yeah, so, so cool. So, so cool. And, and how that, like, you just, you, you go and you stand there, you shop there, you grab dinner there, whatever it is, it feels different. It feels, it almost feels like another city. Yeah. It almost feels like another yeah. city. It's so drastically different. So, so cool. Yeah. So, and I don't mean to spend too much time on this, but how is Vancouver growing in the lower mainland? Like we see the development of, you know, Metro Town now, and they're going to redo that and, and, and Brentwood and all these types of things. How is Vancouverism reflected in those municipalities and how are we growing outwardly like that? What are your thoughts on that? Because for me, I'm just like, hey, there's another one. Hey, there's another one. Yeah. Hey, there's another one. What does this all mean? <laughs> so so again, it comes down to we have a bit of, uh, we have a social contract in right. the Metro Vancouver plan on our urban centers. So Metro Towns is a really good, good example of one of those cores where we collectively, the 23 municipalities in Metro Vancouver has said, where we have transit, we're going to, we're going to build density and amenities and spaces. So I honestly can't remember how many of them, how many cores there are. Uh, but Metrotown is, is a good example. So yeah. Burnaby's driving that, um, the development around Metrotown itself, and whether that gets redeveloped. Mm. So right now it's a bit, as an example, it's a bit, there's a lot of uh, tower and podium developments going in, a lot of population growth in, in Burnaby, in Surrey, um, and mostly tied to transit. There's still a lot of urban sprawl going on. Mm. We're, we're building out as far as we can in the valley. Um, still single family homes and townhomes, which are in high demand, but the cores, I think all the municipalities are, have bought into the high density core mm. around transit concept. Mm. What we have to get a handle on is what we're investing, how many billions we're going to invest in, in transit over the next, right. you know, yearly over the next number of years. And we're still, I think that's our biggest, in my mind, one of our biggest handicaps is that we can't collectively, our process to build the single Broadway line is taking us 15 years, 10 years mm. before we even get to the point of funding it after the Canada line. Well, Canada line was completed in 09, mm. I think. Mm -hmm. So we're almost at the point of approving the Broadway line a good 10, 11 years later. Mm. And that's just, it's too slow. Mm -hmm. And the transit has to come first on a big scale. Again, our bus system is one of the best in the world. Uh, it's not the best in North America, but our fixed transit lines tied to these urban centers are really key. And that, I know we're working on it, but I think collectively the referendum we had however many years ago was one of the dumbest things we've ever done. Wow. Uh, and putting putting a major transit decision to a referendum similar to the HSD was just idiotic. Mm. Cool. Wow. I don't know if that answered your question. No, it does. On that. No, no, it does. Um, what does the city of the future look like? 
me and my life, I'm big on sustainability. I want to see how does how are our cities going to change? What does a city in 2050 look like? Who's modeling that now? And what are the key characteristics of that? Yeah, we're modeling that now, all yeah. of us. Wow. So, and that's the big thing. Again, we're lucky in Vancouver that we can all participate in that process and we can be, we can be a part of it. Vancouver is coming out with a, its first city plan ever, hmm. um, and which, is a, which is a ongoing process right now. So everybody in Vancouver has the opportunity to participate that, in that and tell the city, the government, the developers, the builders, what they want hmm. their city to be. Wow. And how... As we accommodate, you know, if we, if I think it's projected to grow another 2 million in the next 10, 15 years. Sorry, does that, does that happen all over the world? Doesn't happen in China. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, you know, frankly, why they build subways so quickly. There. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Hey, we're building a subway. Yeah. You guys are getting out of your neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. So we, in democratic countries, yeah, for yes. the most part, yes. there's, there's a process of some sort where the citizenry can participate mm. in, in the decisions, varying levels mm -hmm, of, mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. you know, how much you, how much input uh, or can input, but we're trying to figure out how to grow. And the, the Metro Vancouver, uh, the old GVRD, uh, Metro Vancouver plan and uh, areas trying to figure out how we're going to accommodate an extra 2 million people, where we're going to put them, what transit we need, what infrastructure, what sewage, water, all mm -hmm. these things we need for the city to grow. Mm. The cultural side of that is probably less discussed of course. openly than than it should be the mental health side the social side and that's really important the city you know when you're my age mm -hmm. which is 30 years from now <laughs> <laughs> shit uh damn yeah man uh i'll still be kicking around we'll, 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 <laughs> let's set a date we'll talk about it then see where the city has gone um you know you're you're the generation that needs to be figuring out what the city is going to be like right. in right. 30 years and participating in it right. and it's what's missing is that that cultural social side of it yeah. and we as we struggle more and more with climate change um as if we start getting more if we start getting waves of of uh refugee immigration here how do we deal with that yeah. as the food systems fail in other countries yeah uh, how do we deal with that from a housing urban absolutely. planning perspective absolutely and we're not talking about it nope nope i mean and it's not like we don't see these things coming you know, we we know that they're going to happen, yeah. but we get busy doing other stuff, and we yeah. don't we don't talk about it. You know, that's so interesting. That's a that that exact I don't know condition that that you just spoke about is we know it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. There's stuff going on right now, though, and I think on every level of organization, like whether you're a small scale uh, organization like self hired or just an, an entrepreneur or a large scale city or a municipality. We focus on what is most urgent, not what is most important. Like as humans, we suck at that. We do. So there, bad. There's some exceptions to that. Surrey, as an example, has a really? fantastic um, climate change plan yeah. for water because a, a huge amount of their land base and a number of, of uh, native land areas are are at or, or below sea level. Mm. So there's a they've done a lot of work in the last four or five years or longer mm. on how to how to how to deal with rising sea levels. Yeah, yeah. And I think Richmond has as, as well. Mm. So some of that work is happening, mm. but not enough. Yeah. And because we're, we, uh, we complain about our taxes, <laughs> but we don't have enough money to, you know, pay for a lot of these things and consider them. And the, the cities are overstaffed or under, sorry, overtaxed, overtaxed. understaffed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, developers are mostly to blame for that. We, we keep them so damn busy. Yeah. Um, and we demand their time for each and every project, mm. but there's bigger picture stuff they need to focus on. And the city plan of Vancouver is a good example of that. They've mm. taken the 
whether it'll be a good thing or a bad thing, we'll know 30 years from now. Mm. Uh, but they have decided that they're, they're going to make this happen. Hmm. Really cool. So out of all the world, all the places you've studied, learn about what, what developments, what cities, what townships do you admire the most and wow. why? Uh, you know, places like where I haven't been yet. I've just read Medellin, yeah. Bogota. Yeah. Drug infested, high crime level. Yeah. Uh, they, if, if everyone's watched Narcos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was a mess. Yeah. And they consciously made the decision to turn the city around and focus on urbanity and social equity. And uh, it's on so, my list. Sorry, so I'm so sorry. I'm interrupting yeah. you so many times here. Social equity. Availability of, of housing and amenities across the board, okay. across all, all social spectrums. Cool. Um, the you know wealthy and the and and the not so wealthy and the mm -hmm. and the poor. Mm -hmm. So building affordable housing, building transit. Transit's been a main Transit's focus. A big one, yeah. uh, Curitiba, Brazil, same thing. The mayor of Curitiba. I'm pronouncing that wrong, but something okay. like that. Um, no longer the mayor, but former mayor decided that transit was the way to change a city around, and just focused on again getting that that access to to housing and transit for the broader population and radically change that city in a period of 15 years, I believe. Mm -hmm. So there, there are cities uh, all over the world participating or uh, doing things on their own like that. Um, smart cities, there's smart city programs mm -hmm. all over the world. Vancouver vied for that and lost out to Montreal. Um, Montreal, an amazing city. Yeah. Um, and the focus of the smart city program is how do we how do we make our environments better? How do we increase our social equity? How do we deal with the affordability crisis that's that's hitting cities all over the world? How do we disconnect um, finance hmm. uh, and private finance mm -hmm. and and extreme capitalism from the needs of our cities? Mm -hmm. And again, going back to the beginning of our conversation on the religion of of capitalism, how do we restore our democracy? and restore our cities and get it out of the hands of the the massive blackstones of the world the, the private equity funds mm -hmm. that started off with good intentions and actually service reits and help seniors in that sense yeah but are kicking out seniors in the other on mm -hmm. the other so and they're buying up buildings all over the world and demo evicting people and it's just it's 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 finance without empathy mm -hmm. and that's happening all over the place so mm -hmm. and cities are cities are starting Cities, again, going back to the uh, to our greatest invention, cities will solve the problems if they're allowed to. Mm. And there are city governments all over the world uh, that are are stepping up and realizing that affordability is an issue. The the ownership of their mass percentage of their buildings by by foreign nameless firms is a problem. Mm. And what can be done about it? Mm -hmm. And there's there's moderation. So, and again, that's I think where we're lucky in Canada. We don't have the extreme capitalism of the U.S., mm -hmm. uh, but we're still suffering from it to some degree. So, can we come up with solutions in finance? We're not getting away from finance. We're not getting away from capitalism, mm -hmm. but we can moderate mm -hmm. the system we have to 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 the betterment of our cities. Mm -hmm. So, how do we do that? Mm. Boy, I have so many finance and REIT questions. I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not going to go there. Um, frankly, for the sake of time. Um, but yeah, how do, how do we invest in, how do the private equity firms invest the right way in our cities and make that profitable for all shareholders? Let's not yeah. get too much into yeah. it, but you know what That's I'm saying? That's your world. Yeah. Right. Damn. How, how do we? 
and that, and that, has to, that has to change. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And like you, like you said, some people in, encourage senior living and, and others, you know, push it right out of the way. Yeah. And, and so how do we find those things that align with our values and our when ethics? You get some doing both at the same time. You get the, at the exact same time. Yeah. The exact same time. Yeah. And so you can't differentiate them, which makes it hard for a person in my position. And but, it's pure, <laughs> pure spreadsheet development where you don't see the impacts no. on the street. No. And that when you're doing finance from New York for a building in Berlin, you know, there's no connection, there's no humanity, there's no empathy. Nothing. So how do you manage that? Yeah, it's great. And lines. we live in a global world. Yeah. So do you? I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Um, I had this like concept where, so I'm thinking about I'm, I'm thinking about the, I'm driving here today, and I'm like, man, I I want to create a space. Like, remember what like public libraries used to be, and like you know what cafes used to be before fucking cell phones and. Mm. And we don't have that anymore. Like public community centers aren't the same. Everyone's so isolated, 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 isolated. Yeah. We have no place of like collective collaboration. If I want to go meet someone and not in like a Tinder type of way, like not in mm. like a, oh, let's go to a meetup type thing. Yeah. Like I just mean, I just want to genuinely like, go somewhere, maybe engage in activity, maybe not. I don't know. Where are those spaces? And more importantly, how do we create them? Because I don't yeah. see them. Go to a city planning session. <laughs> no, and I'm not kidding. The uh, you know the Granville Street Bridge, the the city yeah. city hosts a lot of, and I, and the other municipalities in Metro Vancouver do right. as well. But City of Vancouver just hosted a number of meetings and open forums on the redesign of the Granville Street Bridge, right. which I think is amazing. A bike path, a pedestrian path on the east side of the bridge, facing the mountains and the water, and taking down the is it eight lanes? I think to the two of traffic mm. to four, mm. um, and allowing allowing some bike space but a whole bunch of public meetings on that they have charrettes they have uh sit down forums you sit down at a table of eight eight people and you wow. talk wow. and you talk about design and your city and how you live in your city and how you use it so that, that's wow. one example really interesting. um yeah and <laughs> and they do a lot of that and they they really struggle to get people to participate of course they do uh, because we're all busy right yeah and everybody you know a bunch most people under 40 have kids and they're busy and and they just can't get out to it as much. So yeah, that's one, I mean, it's participating, but it's also a way to meet people. Really, really cool. The other social activities that are not like that, how do you meet people without your damn cell phone? It's a struggle. I don't know. I just I just took uh, four buddies on a ski trip for a week. And we yeah, tried, that's how you tried to stay off our cell phones. <laughs> yeah. But it's I didn't watch, I didn't listen to the news for a week. It's amazing. Wow. Until I got back here and then the whole world's gone to shit again. But, <laughs> Uh, yeah yeah wow <laughs> yeah but that's that's also one of our struggles with social social isolation and the vancouver foundation did a study a few years ago yeah. on everywhere but in vancouver they studied it we're sitting in our in our suites in our little boxes in the sky on our phones and and watching tv and we're not getting out and, and meeting people mm. so how do we, and that's a societal that's not a it's partly a form problem but it's i think it's largely a societal problem yeah that's happening everywhere Every, everywhere. Yeah. How do we fix that problem? How do we fix the human connection problem? How do we enhance the human growth experience? Like these, I, I don't know, um, but someone needs to have the audacity. We need to, we need some bold moves. We yeah. need to figure it out because we're, we're going down the rabbit hole of, of disconnecting. We're all becoming trolls online. Oh my gosh. And the, the and it's killing people. It is. Yeah. And the, the lack of empathy that uh, that allows. And compassion. Oh my is, gosh. Yeah. Oh it's my horrifying. Gosh. Oh my gosh. Any any hints or inclinations on said big moves what could be a big disruptor to this what could come in and really shake things up how like you know um i don't know yeah. i wish i knew yeah, but that's part, that's part of what i'm that's part of what i'm i'm trying to figure out right now is right. this sort of a career pivot what what those moves could be humanity responds to emergencies and when shit goes sideways we figure things out 
and we it knocks us out of our complacency and i hate to say we need we need something to knock us out of our complacency and it's it's shocking and horrifying that the the reality of climate change isn't doing that oh my gosh um but it's not yeah. to a large degree so we we need small level disasters to kick us in the ass to say hey we need we need some better solutions here mm. and you know use the uh the fentanyl crisis as one example it is motivating a lot of people a lot of young parents who've lost kids for absolutely no reason are are engaging and, and activating and try to change things but it took it took a disaster oh my in gosh. their families f- for that to happen yeah and unfortunately we're to your point we live in a society now where if it doesn't happen to us directly it might as well not happen um i think an example where we've actually done a good job of that is in the syrian refugee side mm. where we you know the we we as a country reached out and said we're going to take a larger percentage than I think any other, certainly in North America, a larger percentage, mm-hmm. less than a lot of the Eastern uh, European countries. But we took a stand and said, we're going to do this and we're going to respond, respond to this disaster mm-hmm. uh, and and do so uh, more overtly than a lot of other countries. So that's an, a, a, a good right. example, Yeah, but not enough. Yeah, it's social di- disconnect. Yeah. Um, we'll get a wrap here, but I do want to ask, with where you're at in your career, you essentially you're 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 21 again. Like you, yeah. the world is your oyster. You yeah. can quite or at least really 33 do, somewhere on there. 33, <laughs> call it whatever yeah. you want, man. Yeah. Like you, you know, you seem in great health and great spirits. You're you're so deeply entrenched in so many things, and your mind is has gone to the moon and back. What what are you passionately curious about now? Where do you want to direct your energy? What are the problems you're trying to solve? And what do you think is next for you besides doing these you know huge development deals? Yeah, I I um. I love building homes, mm-hmm. and I think you know the the knowing that somebody's living and enjoying or working in a, in a in a building or structure or a neighborhood that you've worked on is 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 mm-hmm. huge, and I really I, I, I get get great pleasure from that from knowing that I'm contributing in that way. Mm-hmm. But as we've been talking about, the world is falling apart. We're killing it. Mm-hmm. Um, our my industry has a huge responsibility on that and a huge opportunity. As does mine, but yes, we, we all we all collectively do. Yeah. Um, but the you know the bricks and mortar world can and has to change. So somehow being a part of that and help, help being a small cog in the wheel that's going to help move that ship a little bit in the right direction over the next 20, 30 years mm. is is what I'm aiming at. I, mm. I don't know what that looks like, mm. uh, but that to have some sense of meaning and sense of some some sense of purpose. And 30 years from now to have some sense of fil- fulfillment that I've contributed to that mm. is necessary. Mm. If I don't, I mean, it's not going to work if I don't. Mm-hmm. So I know, I know that's what I have to do. I just don't know what the hell it is yet. Right. So that's very exciting. Cool. That's very daunting fun. and exciting at the same time. As it should be. Yeah. As it should be. Amazing. Chris, you just have a bunch of people that are sitting, listening or watching this and going, Oh my gosh, this is insane. I need to learn more. I'm inspired. What do you want them to do? Like what resource do you, what, is there a book you want to read? Do you want to oh, reach out to you personally? What do you want? There's so many books. I can give you a list of, of some of the inspiring books. Yeah. And again, some, we have some amazingly uh, inspiring people in Vancouver who've mm-hmm. written a lot. Um, Happy City, Vancouverism, Larry Bisley, we'll Larry Bisley, on. Charles Montgomery. I'll yeah. send you a bunch. I'd love, Edward, I'd love Glaser, to. Edward Glazer, Richard Florida. Yeah. A lot of contemporary writers um, on cities and how we live and how they change. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you know, cities are organized, are organisms, they change. We're part of it, we're the blood flowing, flowing through the city. And I think participate, get out, be curious about how your city is forming, evolving. Uh, cities die 
cities have died for thousands of years uh, when the economics peter out or this or this people stop living there or stop caring. Mm. So if we want Vancouver to be and Metro Vancouver to be a vibrant, dynamic city, that's gonna that's going to continue to be hitting above its weight for the next 30 years, mm. we have to play in it wow. and we have to participate in it. And we can't. Yeah. And I'll talk, I'll talk anybody's ear off. That's yeah. that's obvious. But yeah. there are a lot of resources out, out there. There are a lot of people in the industry, a lot of people, a lot of resources to talk to. So yeah. just get curious. The best thing you can do in anything you do in life is be curious and just ask questions. Yes, sir. That's the, that's, that's the, that's that's the ethos of us. Yeah. I love it. Which is exactly what you're doing, right? Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you for being a part of that, Chris. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Chris, for coming on. If you enjoyed that podcast, make sure you hit subscribe. I really appreciate it. If it's something that really brought you to the next level, really made you more curious about urban planning, go out and get involved. In our show notes, we linked a ton of resources that Chris sent over that we added in, things that he referenced in the podcast. Um, you can actually check that out at thinkspacepodcast.com uh, slash Chris. What is that called? The little thing? It's not like a little, it's not an underscore, but it's like the little dash, whatever that little dash is, Chris dash Volen. Uh, and check out those show notes right there. We also have that'll link to the YouTube. If you want to check out the visual experience of this podcast, make sure you go over to YouTube. And uh, thank you guys as always for tuning in. Oh, I almost forgot. I want to do a special shout out to um, the people over or actually Jade over at I'm an Adult Now What podcast. Super cool podcast coming up. She's a 24 year old that strikes above her weight class um, in a similar space for us. And if that's if thinks if think space is something you enjoy, then you'll probably enjoy Jade's as well. So make sure you go over there and check that out. I was recently a host or a guest on there and she hosted me beautifully. Thanks guys. Ciao.